Welcome to True Crime Chronicles podcast, episode one of History's Mysteries. I am Lindsay, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite poets and writers, Edgar Allan Poe. Now, anyone who's familiar with Poe is familiar with how he died, or at least the theories about how he died. So we're going to cover the top most accepted theories and talk about his life, death, and burial, and which death theory is the most likely. So sit back and relax. This is the life and death of Edgar Allan Poe. A Telltale Heart, The Raven, The Cask of Amontillado, my personal favorite short story of Poe's. It's such a beautifully well-told tale of such petty revenge between two friends. I love it. It's about a man, Montresor, who feels so insulted by a friend that he does the absolute most by inviting Fortunato, who is said insulter slash friend, and he's also a wine expert, to sample a case of Amontillado that was unverified at this point. So he wanted him to make sure it was authentic. And Amontillado is a type of sherry wine. So Montresor brings a very inebriated Fortunato deep into Montresor's family vaults that also double as catacombs. Now Montresor gets him down there and he enacts his revenge slash punishment. So in this story, the punishment for insult is immurement or burying Fortunato alive. Now Fortunato is chained to a wall, being so hammered he was easily manipulated and chained up. Montresor bricks up the opening, and Fortunato is no more. Now, how he got him down into the vaults and the catacombs, they were friends, right? And he was already very inebriated. So Montresor kind of played off of that and was like, hey, kind of played to his ego also, being a wine expert. You know, he told him, hey, I have this case of Amontillado. I need someone to verify it for me, see if it's authentic. So Fortunato jumped at that. And as they were going down there and he would question, you know, Montresor would be like, no, hey, oh my God, we're friends, right? What? And so they just kind of kept going down there and he was giving him wine the whole time, just keeping him super inebriated. And that was, you know, made him very you know, easy to manipulate, chain up, and then brick up. So at the end of the short story, it's revealed that 50 years have passed and Fortunato's body has not been disturbed. Now, was he really wronged by a friend and this is just his way of revenge? Or was Montresor just batshit crazy, right? Was he insane? I think he was just an asshole personally, but who knows? He concluded the story with Montresor saying a very nice saying. It looks like it's in Latin. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it correctly, so I'm not going to try. But the uh, translation of it means, may he rest in peace. Now, the Cask of Amontillado was first published in November of 1846. And one of my favorite lines in this story is, I must not only punish, but punish with impunity, which to me is just amazing. Montresor took the approach of, 
Okay, if you want to fuck me over, all right, that's fine. But not only will I get you back, but my get back will be so strong and so much better and done in such a way that consequences or punishment will never come to me. It's not going to happen, won't happen, you're fucked. And fucked he was. (laughs) Now Poe was known for his dark stories and dark humor. But many mysteries still surround Poe's actual life, but more so his death. Now, many theories have surrounded his death. How did he die? When? Why? Why was he in those clothes? Why the hell was he in that neighborhood? And in a gutter, no less. And why was he in such an intoxicated and delirious state? So in this History Mystery episode, we're going to look into the death of Edgar Allan Poe, and all the theories. So let's get started. Edgar Allan Poe was born January 19th, 1809 in Boston to Dave and Elizabeth, or Liza, Poe. He was the second child to older brother Henry. Now his father abandoned his family the following year of 1810 just dipped the fuck out never to be seen or heard from again and unfortunately his mother died in 1811 leaving two-year-old poe essentially an orphan now a richmond virginia couple john and francis allen took edgar in and they raised him although they never did formally adopt him Now, Edgar stayed with the Allens through young adulthood until he left to attend the University of Virginia. Now, Poe did not stay at the university very long, leaving after only a year due to lack of finances to pay the school and gambling debts that needed paid. From there, Poe uses an assumed name in 1827 to enlist in the United States Army where he publishes a collection of poems, crediting the collection just to a Bostonian. So the equivalent of signing anonymous, essentially. Now, Edgar and John Allen had disagreements on his future after he left college, mainly about money and gambling. But they squashed it in 1829 when John's wife, Frances, the woman who had raised Edgar, died. Now, at this point, Poe ended up at a West Point school as an officer cadet. But that also did not work out for Edgar. So after that, he declared his, you know, firm decision to be a poet and a writer. Now, it was at this point that Edgar and John Allen parted ways. Now, during Poe's time at University of Virginia, he studied ancient and modern languages, which, in my mind, that is such a Poe degree to study, right? Like, none of that surprised me. Now, at some point, either right before attending university or during Edgar becomes engaged to Sarah Elmira Royster. Now, once he leaves the university and returns, he realizes that during his time away, like that year, Sarah had married someone else. And this was Edgar and John's first fallout, right? This one of many. 
The reason that Edgar was so upset over money was because the spring before he left for school, John Allen had inherited what would be today's equivalent of $19 million from a very wealthy uncle. And Poe felt that John was not adequately supporting him. Poe, having no real way to support himself at this point, joins the military as a private under the name of Edgar A. Perry. With an age of 22 instead of his actual age of 18. So in 1827, Edgar was promoted to artificer. Yeah, an enlisted tradesman who prepares shells for artillery, which doubled Edgar's pay from $5 to $10 a month. Now, two years into that position, ranked him up to sergeant major for artillery. So sergeant major for artillery. This was the highest rank a non-commissioned officer could attain. At this point, though, Edgar was over the military and wanted out of his five-year enlistment early. You notice a pattern here? Yeah. But, unfortunately, this time, you know, leaving early wasn't exactly easy to do. So, Poe goes to his commanding officer with his real name and age and the circumstances under which he enlisted. And at this time, he asked to be discharged. His commanding officer agreed on one condition. And the condition was that he reconcile with John Allen. Now, John spent several months ignoring Edgar's letters. It was only after Edgar showed up to pay respects to his foster mother, Frances, the day after her burial, that John conceded and agreed to support his attempt at a military discharge. John agreed to do this so that Edgar could receive an appointment to the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York. Poe got his discharge from the military April 15th, 1829. Before beginning his time at West Point, Edgar had some free time that found him in Baltimore to stay with his widowed aunt Maria Clem and his first cousin Virginia Eliza Clem. Edgar makes it to West Point and enrolls as a cadet on July 1st, 1830. That October, John Allen marries his second wife, Louisa Patterson. This marriage, and apparently an out-of-wedlock child that was fathered by John Allen, I'm guessing led to bitter arguments and disagreements between the foster father and son, which led to John Allen disowning Edgar and ending their relationship. So, over money, right? It's always over money. Now, after the fallout with his foster father, Poe had had enough. He was done. He said, fuck all this shit. I'm going to be a poet and a writer. That's it. Now, Poe starts purposefully acting up at West Point in order to get a court-martial. And on February 8th, 1831, he was tried for gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders for refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. Edgar was dismissed from West Point. So I think we can all agree that at this point, the military is just not the right place for Edgar. 
In February 1831, Poe releases a third volume of poems financed with the help from fellow cadets at West Point. So he raised a total of $170. This book was printed in New York. And at that time, Poe returns to Baltimore with his aunt, his brother Henry, and his cousin in March of 1831. His older brother, Henry, was in ill health and he died of alcoholism August 1st, 1931. After his brother dies and John Allen's disownment of Poe, he's pretty much left without family, except for this aunt. Now, Edgar began at this time to really focus his efforts on becoming a writer. But writing at this time in American publishing was no good. Copying British authors was the preferred method over paying American ones. So this led to Poe repeatedly resorting to begging for money and other assistance. So obviously having to do that, especially as a grown man, that obviously was going to cause him great embarrassment, you know, and humiliation. So this was not a great time in his life for Edgar. Poe did manage to find steady work through John P. Kennedy, a wealthy Baltimorean who took notice of his short stories. Kennedy introduced Edgar to the editor of Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Thomas W. White. Now, White made Edgar assistant editor in August of 1835, but like every other job or commitment or opportunity, that Edgar tried, it just didn't work out, and the job ended within a few weeks. So Edgar, at this point, returns again to his aunt and cousin in Baltimore, where he applies for a marriage license to marry said cousin in Virginia. Now, her name was also Virginia, so. And this was on September 22nd of 1835. Now, on May 16, 1836, Edgar and Virginia marry in a Presbyterian ceremony with a witness to claim Virginia's age of 21. But here is the effed up part of this. Yes, more effed up than their first cousinship. Yeah. Edgar was 26 and Virginia was in fact not 21 but instead the young age of 13. Yeah, I'm disgusted too. Edgar was reinstated at his job of assistant editor at Southern Literary Messenger, where he remained until January of 1837. After leaving the Messenger in 1837, he worked several jobs. In 1838, he became assistant editor of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. I don't know what that is. I'm assuming it doesn't have the same take as what a Gentleman's Magazine would be nowadays, but Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. So there you have it. In 1939, it was a busy summer for Poe as he published numerous articles, stories, and reviews including Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque, was published, but to mixed reviews and honestly very little money. 
Now, Poe left Burton's after about a year and then became a writer and co-editor of a very successful monthly magazine called Grams. So he does really stick to that pattern, doesn't he? It's like after a year, he just gets restless and wants to move on. Now, Edgar tried to get a position in President John Tyler's administration as a member of the Whig Party. But losing that position also when he missed a meeting. Edgar said he was sick, but more likely he was drunk or hungover. So that didn't work out for Edgar either, right? So he kind of fucked that up. A little bit of self-destruction there. January of 1842. While with his wife, Virginia, she's singing, playing the piano. Virginia begins to show the first signs of tuberculosis. She only partially recovered after that night. And to deal with the stress of her illness, Edgar begins to drink. And he begins to drink heavily. He left Graham's to New York and began to work briefly at the Evening Mirror before he went on to become editor, then owner of the Broadway Journal. The Broadway Journal failed in 1846. Now, January 29th of 1845, Edgar Allan Poe's most famous poem, The Raven, appeared in the Evening Mirror and was an instant success for Edgar, making him a household name pretty much immediately. Fun fact about that, though, he was only paid $9 for The Raven's publication. Wild. But... While that success was great for Poe, his personal life was not so great. Almost two years to the day of the Ravens publishing, Edgar would lose his wife Virginia to tuberculosis, January 30th, 1847. Now biographers and critics often point to the death of his mother, you know, foster mother, and Virginia as the reason why Death of a beautiful woman tends to be a frequent theme of his writings. And I can understand why. You know, the three, you know, most influential, right, women in his life. His mother, his foster mother who raised him, and his wife. They all died and they died very young. So I can see how that would be a recurring theme. Now, Edgar became increasingly unstable after the death of his wife. He tried his luck in Rhode Island to court fellow poet Sarah Helen Whitman, but her mom put a hard stop to that shit quick. She would have none of Poe's drinking and erratic behavior around her daughter. And rightfully so. So Edgar returns to Richmond and reignites his flame with his first love and childhood honey, Sarah Elmira Royster. Now that brings us up to September 27th of 1849. Edgar leaves Richmond, Virginia to head back to his home in New York City. From September 27th, 1849 to October 3rd, there are no credible accounts of Edgar's movements for the entire week. 
It's not until he shows up in the streets of Baltimore, a near-death mess, that people can kind of, you know, pinpoint where he was, right? Because the week before that, we don't know what he was doing. So it's a rainy night in Baltimore on October 3rd, 1849. Now this is election day. This seems like a not so important detail, but stick with me because it does become very important. Joseph W. Walker, a compositor for the Baltimore Sun, he didn't mind the rain as he hurried to Ryan's Tavern, a.k.a. Gunner's Hall. It was a public house and apparently a super go-to spot at the time. Now, I do want to stop here for a second and say there will be a lot of Joseph's, John's, you know, a lot of the, those names will be reoccurring in here. So it, if you get confused, trust me, I know. I will try my best to keep it to where it's understandable. Now, as Walker arrives at Gunner's Hall, he sees a man lying in the gutter. The man was in terrible shape, delirious, semi-conscious, unable to move, and dressed in shabby, ill-fitting, mixed-matched clothing. Joseph leans down to help the man and is startled to see the man in so much distress and in such need of help to be none other than poet-writer Edgar Allan Poe. Now, concerned for the poet's obviously bad state, Joseph stops and asks Edgar if he had any acquaintances in Baltimore who could help him. Now, Edgar managed to give the name of Joseph E. Snodgrass, an editor with some medical training. So Joseph took this information and writes a letter to Snodgrass immediately. Baltimore City, October 3rd, 1849. Dear Sir, there is a gentleman, rather worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward Poles, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar Allan Poe, and who appears in great distress. He says he is acquainted with you, and he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker, to Dr. J.E. Snodgrass. Now, I don't know how I plan to get this note to Dr. Snodgrass, who he gave it to, did he take it himself? Did he even know Dr. Snodgrass? Did he know where to find him? Was it mailed? Hand-delivered? Did he do it? A pigeon? A raven? I don't know. How long did it take? And what did Poe do in the meantime? Like, did Joseph Walker stay with him? Like, I have questions as to how this went down. Like, a lot of questions. And unfortunately, I don't have the answers to them, but... I mean, obviously, they couldn't just text, you know, back in the day, like, hey, Snodgrass, your buddy's fucked up, right? You can't do that back then. But, you know, it seemed to kind of answer it immediately. So I, I don't know how it got there, how he knew where to send it. Just, I don't know. Now, this was the first anyone had seen or heard of the poet since Edgar had left Richmond. Edgar never made it to Philadelphia to take care of his editing business. And he hadn't made it to New York to pick up his aunt and then travel to Richmond, where he was going to marry Miss Sarah. Nope, Poe had never left Boston. 
Now, Edgar never regained a level of consciousness that would allow him to explain what happened and who had put him in this state or what had put him in this state. His final days were spent alternating between visual hallucinations, fits of delirium, and just random calling out. Now, according to his physician, John J. Moran, Edgar would call out repeatedly for, quote, Reynolds, unquote. Now, unfortunately, Edgar would be in that condition for four days before succumbing to his ailments. Now, the Reynolds person that Poe was calling out to has never been identified. And I don't know that that's what Edgar even said. Now, his attending physician, John J. Moran, (sighs) I, I told you, a lot of Johns and Josephs in this story. But John Moran, he later makes a statement and decision that really kind of calls question to his credibility. Now, Edgar's death seemed suited for a man who wrote about mystery, darkness, and the macabre. His death became its own mystery that to this day has never been solved and honestly probably never will be, not with 100% certainty, right? Now, as far as John J. Moran, many people felt that Moran could not be trusted because he also was big in the temperance movement and he wanted to use Edgar's demise as a way to further his cause. Also, in later testimonies, Moran avoided mentioning, you know, the Reynolds, right? But instead, he changed it to Miss Herring. Moran also claimed during one of the few times Edgar was awake, he attempted to, you know, kind of cheer him up and telling him soon he would be in the company of friends, to which Poe allegedly responded, the best thing his friend could do would be to blow out his brains with a pistol. Okay. Now, Moran said Poe's last words were, Lord help my poor soul. But Poe never had visitors, just Moran. And his credibility has been questioned and considered altogether untrustworthy. His story has changed numerous times. On when he contacted Poe's aunt slash mother-in-law, okay, to inform her of Edgar's death. He also changed Poe's last words to, The arched heavens encompass me. And God has his decree legibly written upon the front lists of every created human being. And demons incarnate. The goal will be the seething waves of blank despair. I'm sorry, what? Like, (laughs) that's a huge difference from Lord help my poor soul. Yeah. So the editor of the New York Herald, who published this version of Moran's story, admitted We cannot imagine Poe, even if delirious, constructing such sentences. Um, yeah, definitely not if delirious. I'm an RN, and I would say there's no way that could happen, and I don't think you need to be a nurse or have any type of training to figure out that that just doesn't make that much sense. 
Now, a Poe biographer, William Bittner, attributes this version to a convention of assigning pious last words to console mourners. But not just that. Moran altered the dates of when Poe was brought to the hospital. October 3rd at 5 p.m. October 6th at 9 a.m. October 7th at 10 p.m. For each account he told, he said he had the hospital records as a reference, but no hospital uh, records or death certificates were ever able to be found. Ever. Now, some critics say Moran was not malicious in his intent, but his inconsistencies and errors were just due to a lapse of memory or an innocent desire to romanticize, you know, his friend, Edgar, or even, honestly, just senility. But Moran's last accounting of Poe's death came in in 1885 at the age of 65. Okay, now the official cause of death for Edgar Allan Poe states phrenitis as his cause of death. Now, phrenitis is the swelling of the brain. In Poe's case, the doctor originally attributed this to alcoholism. But as time went on and people looked into his death more closely, alcoholism seemed less likely to be the cause. Now, there are eight main theories slash conspiracies that are pretty generally accepted as possibilities for Poe's death. Now, these are in no particular order of one being more likely than the other. It's just kind of how I went at them. So the first theory is beating. Now, I don't know about him being beaten. By most accounts, Poe is an alcoholic, so I feel like he could handle his liquor, but I doubt he's hammered after one glass of champagne. Also, if he is with friends from a military academy, would they just let him walk off in that state, especially knowing he didn't live there? So... It sounds like a scorned woman who started a rumor story that kind of stuck around. But I don't believe this one. In no description given of Poe in his dying days, described bruises, broken bones, black eyes, or anything he would most definitely have if he was jumped and robbed by ruffians. Now remember, he was in a state when Joseph Walker found him, so... You know, he would have been with, you know, friends at this tavern, drinking to the point of just apparently not being able to do anything. So I don't see his friends letting him just go off like that, where he would just randomly get in a fight and someone would beat the shit out of him. And then he finds his way back to the tavern. Just to me, that's not a super likely. Now... Alcohol. This was the first theory and a generally accepted theory at first of what had befallen poor Edgar in the streets of Baltimore, October 3rd, 1849. At one point, it had been very well known that Poe was quite the drinker most of his life. So this wouldn't really surprise anyone. Oh, that's just Poe being Poe, doing what Poe does, right? Ugh, Edgar. But, you know... Months before Poe died, 
he had become involved with the temperance movement, which was obviously super anti-alcohol. But that didn't matter to his friends. They still said he must have fallen off the wagon and into the ditch outside Gunner's Hall. His friend J.P. Kennedy also backed this theory in a writing directly after Edgar's death on October 10th. Now, I don't know why he wrote it unless he truly believed it. You know, he felt like he had personal knowledge of this happening or was just repeating everything he was hearing from other people. My guess is he heard it from Joseph Snodgrass, right, who was also a member of the temperance movement. So Snodgrass would go on to give lectures across the country, blaming Poe's death on binge drinking. However, modern technology puts a big squash on this theory. Samples of Poe's hair were analyzed and showed very low levels of lead, which conclude Poe ended up in that ditch that night in another way besides falling off the sobriety wagon. Now, carbon monoxide was brought up as a possibility. In 1999, a public health researcher by the name of Albert, I don't know if it's Donne, D-O-N-N-A-Y, Donne, that's kind of what I think. If I said it wrong, let's pretend I didn't and move on. Now, Albert brought up that the possibility of Poe's death being a result of carbon monoxide poisoning from coal gas that was used for indoor lighting during the 19th century could be a possibility. But again, Poe's hair and nails, I believe, were clipped and tested for certain heavy metals that would be able to show carbon monoxide poisoning by coal gas. The test was inconclusive, leading that theory to be widely discredited. Heavy metals was the next theory. Not the heavy metals for coal gas poisoning, but mercury. Now, Poe's hair showed elevated levels of mercury months before his death. And this was most likely due to the cholera epidemic that Poe had been exposed to when he was in Philadelphia in July of 1849. Edgar's doctor prescribed calomel or mercury chloride. Now, side effects of mercury poisoning would have been hallucinations or delirium, which Poe did have, but that doesn't explain the clothing. But this also was discredited because of the mercury levels in Poe's hair. The highest level of mercury in his hair was still 30 times below the level consistent with mercury poisoning. Now, the night before he left his fiancée, she had said to Edgar she did not think he should go to Philadelphia. She noticed a fever, a weak pulse, and he had complained he wasn't feeling well. So, at his fiancé's request, Edgar sees a doctor before he heads out for his trip. The doctor agrees with Sarah and says he is just too sick to travel. But, Poe being Poe, or as most men would, right? He's going to go on that trip anyway. And when he does, he encounters rainy weather in Baltimore. 
Now, according to this theory, the dampness exacerbated his already present flu, turning it into pneumonia. A high fever could account for his confusion and hallucinations, and some say that the rain could be the cause for Poe being in different clothes. But I, no, I think that's a reach. I don't put a lot of stock into this theory. Is it possible that the flu was what killed him? Eh, I mean, yeah, I guess. Is it probable, though? Not so much, in my opinion. Now, murder is the next possible theory based on John Evangelist Walsh's 2000 book, Midnight Dreary, The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe. Now, this theory is a bit of a wild one, in my opinion, but here goes. Walsh used newspaper articles, letters, and memoirs to argue that Edgar actually did make it to Philadelphia while on that last trip. And while in Philly, the city of brotherly love, you'll understand why this is funny and or ironic in about two minutes. Edgar gets confronted by his bride-to-be's three brothers. Got it now, right? Brotherly love. And basically is told, stay the fuck away from my sister. You're not going to marry her, etc., etc., etc. Clearly this would freak Edgar out at a minimum, right? And probably scare the shit out of him. Causing him, by Walsh's version, to put on the clothes that were not his to help him hide while he's in Philly for the week before heading back to Richmond to marry their sister. Now, Walsh says the brothers were determined for this wedding not to happen, and they intercepted Edgar in Baltimore, supposedly beating him and forcing him to drink whiskey, knowing it would send him into a deathly sickness. This is probably the least likely, in my opinion, to have happened. It just seems kind of silly. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? I don't think so. Now, a brain tumor. This is a more recent theory, and in my opinion, it is one of the more plausible theories. When Edgar passed in Baltimore, he was buried in an unmarked grave in a Baltimore graveyard when a statue honoring the author was put up near the entrance of the cemetery about 26 years later. Poe's coffin was dug up and an exhumation performed in order to move Edgar closer to his statue up front of the cemetery. But... Being underground for 26 years did no favors to Edgar's coffin. And it doesn't sound like there was a vault around it or any type of protection. So the coffin, and eventually, poor Edgar, became victims to the elements. As the workers were trying to move the coffin to its new burial spot, the coffin just fell apart. It disintegrated of sorts, I guess, is probably a more accurate word. Now, the grave diggers slash movers slash cemetery employees were able to see what was left of Edgar. And as you would imagine, after 26 years, there was not much left of Mr. Poe. But one thing did remain, and that was a solid mass rolling around inside of Edgar's skull. 
It was thought at that time that the mass or the clump inside of Poe's skull was a shriveled yet intact brain. Now, based off what we know today through science and pathology, we know that it could not have been Poe's brain. The brain is one of the first parts of the body to decompose, so it would most definitely have been gone after 26 years underground with minimal storage and covering. So what was it that was rattling around in Poe's skull? An American author by the name of Matthew Pearl was intrigued by this mass that had been somewhat documented in Edgar's move at the cemetery. Now, Pearl contacted a forensic pathologist who confirmed that it could not have been Poe's brain, right? So we know that. But it possibly could have been a brain tumor. Now, a brain tumor after death can calcify into a hard mass, which could explain some of Poe's behaviors, but definitely not all of them. Also to note, it said a New York physician thought Poe might have had a tumor also, telling him he had a lesion on his brain that would cause adverse reactions to alcohol. Now, I don't know, right, if this is possible. Um, they didn't have the technology to really be able to test and properly diagnose you know, lesions on the brain and, you know, things like that. So I, I don't know how likely that is as far as the accuracy of the New York physician diagnosing him with that. I don't know how they did that back then, but, you know, I, I doubt it was super um, accurate. Now, rabies was another one. So in 1996, a clinical pathology conference was held where doctors are given patients along with a list of their symptoms and then they're told to diagnose the condition you know and then compare with other doctors and with written records now cardiologist r michael benitez received anonymous patient ep he did have the information that he was a writer from richmond and the symptoms of anonymous patient EP were this. A physician admitted patient EP to a hospital due to lethargy and confusion. Once admitted, EP's condition began a rapid downward spiral. Patient was exhibiting visual hallucinations, delirium, and wide variations in pulse rate along with rapid and shallow breathing. Within four days, patient EP was deceased. To Benitez, or Dr. Benitez, the symptoms were crystal clear. Patient EP had died from a clear-cut case of rabies. Dr. Benitez soon figured out his assigned patient EP wasn't just a random writer out of Richmond, but was in fact Edgar Allan Poe. Now, rabies in the 19th century was a very common virus, but while Benitez felt fairly certain that rabies was the culprit, there were also some problems with this theory as well. One of the biggest issues is that without DNA evidence, it is impossible to say with 100% certainty 
whether rabies was a factor. But it's not just the DNA that doesn't quite match up, you know, to the rabies theory. Patients that are afflicted with rabies develop a fear of water called hydrophobia. But Poe was reported to be drinking water with no problem in the hospital up until he died. He also did not have any evidence of an animal bite anywhere. So that doesn't always mean anything as some people don't remember being bitten. But there, there was no evidence of a bite, whether he remembered it or not. Nobody saw one. Now, at the time the article about this theory ran in the September 1996 issue of the Maryland Medical Journal, the curator of the Poe House Museum, Jeff Jerome, saw the article and agreed with Dr. Benitez's diagnosis. Mr. Jerome told the Chicago Tribune in 1996 that this is the first time a medical professional looked at the symptoms of Edgar's death in an unbiased way with no influences on their decision and no agenda. But I don't think that this theory checks all the boxes either. Now, the last theory, and the one that I think is the most likely and most plausible, is the cooping theory. Now, cooping is a method of voter fraud practiced by gangs in the 19th century. These gangs would kidnap an unsuspecting victim, disguise them by changing their clothes in various different outfits and forcing them to vote for a specific candidate multiple times under multiple different identities. And in the mid-1800s, around the Baltimore area, voter fraud was extremely common. Now, what makes me lean more towards the cooping theory is that the place where Joseph Walker found Edgar that night in front of Gunner's Hall, it was a polling place. It was also a known place that Coopers brought the people that they kidnapped after forcing them to vote. And October 4th was an election day. So if you subscribe to the cooping theory, it would make sense that Edgar was found outside of a polling place in a delirious state in clothes that he didn't own. Because another tactic of Coopers was to fill their victims with alcohol and opium and even resorted to beating them at times. Now, around the late 1870s, Poe biographer J.H. Ingram received several letters that attributed Poe's death to Cooping. A letter from a member of the faculty at Johns Hopkins University William Hand Brown stated that the general consensus was that Edgar was kidnapped by one of these gangs, cooped, right, stupefied with liquor or opium, dragged out and forced to vote. Then he was left on the road to die. Now, in my opinion, this checks the most boxes and would make the most sense. Honestly, though, you know, not one theory matches everything. I think that cooping is the most plausible, but I believe multiple theories could be true. A combination of factors would make the most sense. I would pretty confidently say that I wouldn't doubt if two or three of those theories 
all contributed to Edgar's death. Edgar had a small funeral in Baltimore at 4 p.m. on Monday, October 8, 1849. Very few people attended the ceremony. His uncle, Henry Herring, provided a simple, plain mahogany coffin. His cousin, Nelson Poe, supplied the hearse. Edgar's first wife, Virginia, her cousin, Reverend W.T.D. Clem, he presided over the funeral. Also in attendance were Joseph E. Snodgrass, Edgar's University of Virginia classmate slash now a Baltimore lawyer, Zacchaeus Collins Lee. Edgar's first cousin, Elizabeth Herring, and her husband, and former schoolmaster Joseph Clark. Now, schoolmaster just simply refers to a male teacher, not necessarily of any specific position or, you know, a higher place. You just had to be a male and a teacher to obtain the title of schoolmaster. The entire funeral ceremony was over in three minutes. With the weather being very cold and damp and minimal people in attendance, Reverend Clem opted to not even include a sermon. I feel like that's kind of shitty, even with just a couple people. Sexton George W. Spence wrote of the weather. It was a dark and gloomy day, not raining, but just kind of raw and threatening. Now, as Sexton is... A person who looks after a church and churchyard, sometimes acting as a bell ringer and formerly as a grave digger. So I didn't know what a sexton was. I had to look it up. Edgar was buried at Westminster Hall and Burying Ground, which is now part of the University of Maryland School of Law in Baltimore. Formerly... Westminster Presbyterian Churchyard. He was buried towards the rear churchyard near his grandfather, David Poe Sr. But he was not buried with the best of accommodations. He had a cheap coffin that had no handles, no nameplate, no cloth lining, no cushion for his head. So, in other words, he literally was just tossed in a random wooden box. However, in 1875, a large monument was erected in Poe's honor and placed in the front of the cemetery. So Edgar needed to be moved from the back to the front. That sounds easy, right? You just move him from the back to the front. But it wasn't. Because unknown to the reburial crew, the headstones originally faced towards the east. But in 1864, for whatever reason were moved to face the west. So the crew that was tasked with exhuming and moving Edgar had difficulty finding the correct body. The first exhumation attempt dug up 19-year-old Philip Mosher Jr., who was a Maryland militiaman. But eventually they were able to find Edgar. So they opened up the coffin and noted that his skull was in excellent condition. And being one of Edgar's most striking features, I guess to them it was easily recognizable, you know, to the exhumation or reburial crew. 
I don't know if I could pick someone out by their skull or their forehead or, you know, I think after 26 years, everybody's skull is probably going to kind of look the same for the most part. But for whatever reason, they were positive this was Edgar and they could pick him out by the skull. Alrighty. Several years later, the remains of Poe's wife, Virginia, were also moved to Westminster Hall and burying ground in order to be with her husband. Now, in 1875, the cemetery where Virginia had been laid to rest originally was destroyed. I don't know how it was destroyed, who destroyed it, or what happened, but just, it was destroyed. Now, unfortunately, by this time, Virginia had no other kin to claim her remains. So an early Poe biographer by the name of William Gill, he gathered Virginia's bones and stored them in a box kept hidden under his bed. That's weird, right? I just, I don't know, I read that a few times and I just thought, I guess I understand the sentiment maybe because there wasn't anywhere to put her at that time, but to keep her under your bed, like in a box? Oof, I don't know, man. But on January 19th in 1885, on the 76th anniversary of her husband's birth and nearly 10 years after Edgar's monument had been erected, Virginia's remains were finally laid to rest with her husband. Now, remember George Spence? He was a man who served as sexton during Poe's original burial and also at his exhumation slash reburial. Well, he attended the rites that brought Edgar's body to rest with his wife, Virginia, and her mother, Poe's aunt slash mother-in-law, Maria Clem. So October 10th, 2009, Poe received a very different type of funeral. Actors were there to portray Poe's contemporaries and other long-dead writers and or artists. Each one paid their respects to Edgar in a proper way and read eulogies that were adapted from their previous writings about him or just previous, you know, records. The funeral included an exact replica of Poe's casket or just a literal wooden box. I think calling it an actual casket is overselling it just a bit. But, <laughs> this I guess it's not funny, but it's, it is to me. A wax cadaver of Edgar made its appearance also, which is just fucking wild to me. So, A, I would have loved to have seen it, and I wish that this was like an annual thing. But, also, was it a wax cadaver of what he looked like in life? I guess maybe they're doing the original burial, so it would be Poe, I guess, in his clothes or outfits or whatever they did. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably what it looked like, but wild. I, I don't know. I just, um, I really would like to have been there for that. That's, that's pretty fucking crazy. But awesome. It's pretty awesome as well. So that is what I have for the life, the death, and burial of Edgar Allan Poe. 
thank you for joining me today for episode one of History's Mysteries. Please like, comment, rate, share, all the fun stuff you're supposed to do. I would really appreciate it. Episode two of History's Mysteries will be the first of next month. In the meantime, be sure to check out the Mystery Monday and Solve Saturday cases. I have every Monday and every other Saturday. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope to talk with you again soon.